This episode of Paper Team is brought to you by Roadmap Writers. Check out their newly revamped on-ramp program, which gives writers month-long access to educational webinars, interactive pitch prep sessions, and online pitching opportunities. To learn more, visit RoadmapWriters.com and use the code ROADMAP, all caps, all one word, to save $15. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to talk about the lessons learned over a career and some tips and tricks from a successful TV writer and producer. With our special guest, Latoya Morgan, who has written on Turn, Shameless, Parenthood, Complications, and is now a co-executive producer on AMC's Into the Badlands. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. All right, let's get started. So first up, just tell us a little bit about your background. Where are you from originally? How'd you end up in the industry and here in L.A.? I am one of the few people who's actually from L.A. So I was born and raised here. And, you know, Hollywood was kind of just that place like over the hill uh, that you heard about, but no one actually really went there. But the reason why I'm here is because I was obsessed with television. I was always watching probably way too much. Um, And (laughs) when me and my younger brother would come home from school, my mom had two jobs. So I was kind of in charge and uh, I would dictate what we watched on tv so (laughs) a lot of turner classic movies which hello super nerd um (laughs) a bunch of cartoons uh i just loved it and and i became obsessed and i wanted to become a writer did you have any specific tv shows that you love to watch yeah, you know, as a kid, one of my favorite shows that I loved was The Twilight Zone. They used to have the marathon during the 4th of July holiday. Mm-hmm. So I just remember barbecue and Twilight Zone and yeah. just watching it all day. And that was a lot of fun. I loved the the show that really uh, got me into this and made me want to be a writer is The X-Files. I am way too obsessed with that show mm-hmm. and David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. I'm sorry if I've, you know, put things on Twitter that are <laughs> <laughs> that have revealed too much about my obsession. Um, but I just always loved that that was such a tremendous character-driven show and it had this great mythology that just drew you in. And so I'm a big sci-fi and genre fan. You looking forward to the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone? I am, actually. You know, they've tried to revamp it so many times. So I'm curious how it's going to go. But after seeing Get Out, which was an incredible mm-hmm. film, beautifully directed, wonderfully written, I think it's in good hands. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm excited. Wasn't uh, Forrest Whitaker the host I of the remember- last reboot? Oh, my I think? God. Yes. And it was challenging. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> so how did you get your first break as a writer? First of all, I went to film school at AFI, which was a wonderful platform for me. Before going to film school, I worked in the social justice arena. So I was a community organizer for the Children's Defense Fund for a couple of years. I was like a politics nerd. Um, (laughs) I wanted to... I originally thought if I couldn't be a writer, I would become a civil rights attorney and save the world. So that was kind of my path. And so film school, when I finally decided to go, was great because I just got to go to school and just really hone in on what it means to be a writer. And I had some wonderful teachers at AFI who really helped me just dig in on my craft. And it was great. But then I left there and I had a ton of student loans and <laughs> I had to pay them back. And so uh, I had to get a real job. And so I worked at different agencies and production companies, just trying to learn the business from the ground up. And in the meantime, I would apply to different fellowships and contests. And one of them was the Warner Brothers Workshop. 
and I got into the Warner Brother Television's workshop, and that is uh, the bridge that got me my first job, which was on Shameless. And can you talk us through sort of that first experience in a writer's room? Did you have any expectations or surprises? Uh, my expectations were that I was the, you know, young runt in the room. <laughs> Everyone in there had 20 years of experience on me. John Wells is an icon. He is actually one of the people when um, I was first starting out, I said, I want a career like John Wells. And I said, Shonda Rhimes as well. And so I was like, I want to be the the love baby of Shonda. Of Shonda. <laughs> yes, exactly. Shonda Wells. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I, just to be working with him as that, as my first job was incredible. And so my expectation was that I was going to learn a lot and I did. But in order to do that, I really had to temper my absolute terror because everyone was so much more experienced and everyone was so funny. Like, the way John constructed the room the year that I was there was there were only six writers and half of them were comedy writers and the other half were drama writers. And so I was on team drama, of course. <laughs> and, but there were people like Alex Borstein who's on marvelous Mrs. Maisel and you know, uh, so many amazing comedy writers. They were just like, boom, boom, joke, joke, joke. And I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> um, I'm kind of like, I can do comedy, but more like the witty Nora Ephron funny. Like, you know what I mean? I got to take a minute to think of my joke. I can't do like the setup, the payoff. And so they were so naturally talented. So it just, it took a minute for me to really gain my confidence and be able to just dive in just with no abandon and really become a pitching machine. And was it a very sort of democratic room where you could pitch in and, and lean into the story or were you sort of asked to take a step back and listen? I was really lucky because John really wanted my input from the beginning. Uh, he actually took me aside uh, right before the start of the first day. And he said, you know, I brought you in here because I think you're really talented. You bring something to the table that we don't have. And I want to hear what you think. And so that was like, boom, the greenest of green lights to do, you know, whatever. And I think Shameless is still on, which is incredible. And one of the things that is a hallmark of the show is, Really, anything you pitch could be in the show. So there were no <laughs> boundaries for the show, which was really great. And as a first time, you know, writer on a show, it was just so fantastic to just have no limits and just be able to think of and dream of the most amazing storylines. And then it could probably be in the script, which was great. <laughs> and how was the Warner Brothers workshop? Do you think that that prepared you as a writer for going into a room? Absolutely. A thousand percent. I think the Warner Brothers workshop for me is the gold standard of the writing fellowships. And Chris Mack, uh, shout out to him because he uh, ran the program uh, at that time. And he is, I call him uh, the evil genius because <laughs> he's like very Sphinx-like and Spock-like. You can't really tell what he's thinking. <laughs> He, he he's so good at picking out talent and he's also very exacting. So he wants the best to come through the program and he wants you to do your best while you're in there. Uh, the Warner Brothers workshop is great because it's run like a simulated writer's room. So Chris pretends to be the showrunner. And so you have to pitch to him. You have to come up with outlines. You have to write a, a new spec script. And then hopefully at the end of all that, you are put up for jobs and new pilots um, and sometimes for existing shows like Shameless. And hopefully you get in there and you get the job. So once off of Shameless, how did you transition into Parenthood? Yeah, I jumped into Parenthood after the 
uh, end of the Warner Brothers workshop. And that was a wonderful opportunity because I was such a big fan of Friday Night Lights and uh, I loved Parenthood. So I got a chance to meet with Jason Kadams. He read one of my scripts. He really liked it. And I was so glad that he picked me to be on his show. And so I think Parenthood was great because it was going from, they were both family shows, which made the transition very easy. The difference for me was that on Shameless, it was just far more cursing <laughs> and more racy material. Yeah. But at the core, it was just really about these people who really love each other. And sometimes they say it, sometimes they don't know how to say it. So Parenthood was great. And we had this thing that we called Tissue Tuesdays, where we would just pass the Kleenex around and everyone would tell like really sad and wonderful uh, stories that would become these great storylines for our characters. So it was great. Wow. Must be very cathartic. Uh, It's kind of like a therapy (laughs) session. Yes, it was. You know, in the season that I worked on Parenthood was season four, and the primary storyline was the cancer storyline for Monica Potter's character. And my mom is a cancer survivor, so that was really close to my heart to be able to come in and pitch those stories. I mean, a lot of those details actually ended up in the show, which was fun. Has it always been a smooth process transitioning from job to job as a writer or do you kind of hit periods where you're looking for a new direction or you want to make a particular angle somewhere? Or For me, it's been pretty seamless, thankfully. Uh, I think that one of the things that I like to tell younger writers when they're starting out is to really talk to their reps about the kind of writing that they want to do. So if they start off on a show, let's say a procedural, and they don't want to stay in procedural land for the rest of their career, uh, to really already be engaging their reps about that and to be creating samples that'll help them transition. So for me, one of the things that my reps knew was that I love genre stuff and that I love history. And so when the opportunity came up for the job on turn, they said, I know your history buff is this is like set during the Revolutionary War. Like, is this something that you would even remotely be interested in? I was like, hell yes. <laughs> it was so like I was so excited uh, because it was about not just the time period, but it was about a group of people that I hadn't heard about. And I'm a person who really reads a lot about first of all, the Revolutionary War, but really World War Two. So I'm like a real history buff. And so I did not know that. General Washington, who would become our first president, also was a spy. And he ran this amazing spy ring, the Culper spy ring, and they helped win the war. And I just thought it was so fascinating. And so I was very interested in that. And my agent set up the meeting. And that's really how I got to sit down with Craig Silverstein, who was the showrunner of Turn. And how do you as a writer sort of approach that transition from genre to genre? Is it sort of focusing on your own original samples? Is it trying to bring in personal experience into this? How do you navigate that? I think it's a combination of both. For me, you have to have it on the page. And so if you're saying that you want to write science fiction, you should have a really good science fiction piece. And I'm really of the mindset that you should write whatever you're passionate about. So maybe sometimes what you're passionate about isn't enough to be a pilot. So whatever this idea you have, maybe it's a one act play, maybe it's a comic book, maybe it's a short story. But as long as it's written and it's down and you can send that to someone, I think that's the best recipe is something where if a reader reads it, they can really feel the passion coming off the page. And as someone who is a history buff, how do you balance kind of historical accuracy and staying true to those real life people and then taking creative license with that and turning it into the best entertainment it can be? 
Oh, yes. That's a great question because uh, there are some people who are far nerdier about history <laughs> than I am. And there are Twitter trolls uh, for turn. I think the best mandate that we had as we started the writer's room for turn was my boss put on the wall like a couple of edicts. And one of them was this is not a documentary. Mm-hmm. So if people were, are expecting to have the most accurate experience. Like you you should watch a documentary and not watch the show. But the other edict that he put on the board was let's be entertaining. And so we wanted to, of course, be mindful and adhere to real pieces of history. So we were never going to kill George Washington or (laughs) do some crazy, you know, alternate history like that battles, like, you know, the battle of Yorktown or the battle of Monmouth, those dates, we tried to really keep them as accurate as possible. But in between there, sometimes characters who didn't die, we killed. And some characters who were in love triangles that actually weren't in love triangles in real life, we put them in love triangles because that's entertaining and that's what we wanted to see. So it's a really fine balance. And as long as you're not breaking too many cardinal rules, I think there's room to draw you know, a little bit outside the lines. And when you're making those uh, decisions and changes, do you look primarily at sort of what is best for the character or is it mostly what drives the narrative forward? Mostly for character. It's, it is to drive the narrative forward, but especially for a character like Abe, we wanted him to have this arc where he started out as this farmer who was just like an everyman and he's thrown into the most extraordinary of circumstances. Like, the general of the war is asking you to help him spy and get information against the biggest army in the history of the world at that time. And so we wanted him to have this arc where he became more and more bold as he went, but he had to start off timid. You can't be like, yeah, I'm going to take on the whole British <laughs> army. Right. right. Um, so we, the, a lot of the things that we did for his character, especially in the first season was to push his character just to make him a little bolder. And um, sometimes that meant, you know, giving him earlier than in historical accuracy, he had a wife, but it was much later. So we needed an obstacle and something that was incentive to keep him, you know, more calm. And so uh, we put in that he was married earlier. He had a son. He had like all these stakes that were put in jeopardy by him being more active in the war. And so it was mostly for character. But of course, the narrative uh, goes from character. So how do your responsibilities change as you move up the ladder from staff writer to executive story editor, to co-EP and that kind of thing? How does it all come around? Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing is you write more. <laughs> so <laughs> per season, you write more episodes, which is lovely. And then um, you get to supervise more. So you're helping the younger and the less experienced writers a lot more. And I think in my case, it became, you know, more responsibility on set, helping to supervise other people's episodes, maybe not just the episode that I wrote, but another person's episode. And uh, you're there longer. So (laughs) when the rest of the staff is gone, you're still there with the core team of EPs and you're uh, trying to get this puppy done. (laughs) (laughs) and what about sort of moving up that ladder is it automatic is it one year in (laughs) definitely not i wish it was automatic you know i know i've i have some colleagues and friends who have had to repeat staff writer three or four times which is really unconscionable i think if you're doing a really good job 
and you're doing what I think is the number one role for any writer in the writer's room, which is, well, I don't want to quote the West Wing, but I, I serve at the pleasure of the president. I serve at the pleasure of the showrunner. And that is what you should be trying to do in the writer's room. And if you're doing a good job at that and you're writing really good scripts, there should be no reason why you're not bumped up to the next level. So I wish that people were uh, a little more democratic with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's something that we got to work on. And to that point, what do you feel are the best assets a writer can bring in the writer's room at sort of every step from whether you're a staff writer or an ESC or even a co-EP? Yeah, I think uh, two things. Uh, Be a good listener. So I think really studying the flow of what's happening once you're around that table in the conference room and you're trying to come up with story. So be a good listener. Be a good doer. So, you know, obviously you're going to come in, you're going to have your ideas to pitch. But for me, when I was coming up, I think, and I'm I'm saying coming up, like I'm like a hundred years old or something, (laughs) but I've only been doing this like six years. But, uh, yeah, when, for me, there was no task that someone could ask me as an upper level writer that I would not do. I mean, I'm not going to kill somebody. However, (laughs) there was nothing within the realm of the writer's room that if I was asked, I wouldn't do. If that man go get somebody some coffee, that's not particularly my job as a staff writer, I would gladly have done it. I've actually run into people who are like, when someone, an upper level writer has asked them to do things, they say no. I'm like, do you want to work? Do you want to have a job? <laughs> I think I'm I'm a big fan of sports. And so I think of the writer's room as my favorite team sport. And so everyone has a role to play, but you're all in this as a team. And so um, you just got to help each other out and um, do what you can to get the show made. So what do you think makes for a good showrunner or EP uh, in the room and outside of it? In the room... I think they they go hand in in and out of the room. I think in the room, you have to be a good manager of people. Hopefully, you're not crazy. <laughs> and you have a vision and idea for whatever this world is that you're creating for your show. I think you also have to be a person who knows how to pick people. So you have to know... Again, like building that team. So you need your center, you need your point guard, you need your wing. Sorry, I'm a Clippers fan. Uh, (laughs) Too much basketball. Yeah, so you have to know how to build that team. And then you also have to trust that team. I think I've had the great honor and privilege of working with some really fantastic showrunners and just seeing how they work. And luckily for me, they've all been pretty even-tempered. They're all really generous with their time. They uh, wanted the writers to do the work. So when it was your time to be up for your episode, you were in charge. Like You were pitching the ideas. You were doing the research. You were writing the script. And so you, as a showrunner, have to be able to let go and delegate certain things because there's just one of you and so many people that need so many answers and they need so much of your time. So you also have to be a good time manager and hopefully you get it in on time and on budget. (laughs) (laughs) It's the ultimate goal. Yeah. And how do you, as sort of a newer writer, figure out what your specialty is, what you can bring to the table that nobody else can bring? I just think you have to know what you do. You know, like some people are structured people. Some people are character writers. If you know that from the outset, great. And you can really lean into those things when you're in the writer's room. Other people don't know. Personally, I knew that I was good at writing characters, but I knew the one thing that I did and I loved just because 
I'm a geek. I love research. So I was like, I can go from place to place because I'm going to read every book. I'm going to watch every movie. I'm going to do my due diligence in order to be able to have something to say at the table because I was always, and I feel like every writer should be, absolutely terrified to have nothing to contribute at the table. So uh, whatever you can do to cover your bases in that way, I think will make you an effective writer no matter what. So every writer obviously has their own voice and style and you know tone that they like to, to write in. How do you go about adapting that for each individual show you work on? You know, you've worked over a wide variety of tones on shows. So The only thing that you can do for that is to just absorb the scripts and absorb the style. And so every show has a different style. And, you know, some people like just even the layout of how the scripts are written. Some people are like, if you write paragraphs over four sentences, people freak out, you know, like the showrunner is like, I don't like that. You know, sometimes the tone of the show, there's a lot of profanity or just in the way that it's written on the page. So you have to adapt that. You have to absorb that. So the only way to do that is read a bunch of scripts once you get there and then just do your best to try to match the voice. And once you're starting out, just know you're not going to get it 100%. So just go in with that <laughs> and know that it's okay. It's going to be fine. And that is what the showrunner is there for. So you get it as far, you get it to the 50-yard line, you get it down to the 20 if you can. And then the showrunner is going to take it into the end zone, you know? And I think that a lot of writers, you know, really get a lot of anxiety about that, but know that the showrunner will see your effort on the page. Yeah, you're the staff writer. You're not the showrunner. Yes, so there's, exactly. There's a big gap there. Yeah. So obviously, you've worked with some incredible showrunners. What are the different ways you've seen uh, stories being broken in those different rooms? I think the biggest difference is the amount of detail that the stories are broken. So when I was on Shameless, there was breaking of episodes, but I would say it was very loose. So we would have like our our blue skies boards. We would have them, you know, broken down by episode. And then within the episode, there would be bullet points of what the story ideas were. And I'm talking like seven bullet points for <laughs> an entire episode. So that was very loose. And then, you know, working with Jason Kadams or Craig Silverstein, we had a lot more detail. So it was like by scene. This is what is in each scene. These are color coded. You know, it was like, <laughs> so I think having both of those tools is great because, you know, with John, he really wanted the writers to find the story. So it was like really up to you, whatever you wanted to be in there. He was completely fine with that. And with that came a lot of table work together with the other writers. So we would read all the scripts. We would give notes to each other. So it was a really different process versus everyone all together breaking each piece at once. So both of them are really effective and are great for story, um, but they're just different. Do you have your own sort of preferred way of breaking story, especially when you're working on your own projects or pilots? I think I'm a little in between. You know, I... Uh, I while I love the seven bullet point version, um, I I could not really. F I'm really big on outlines, so that does not fill an outline, and so I try to break it with a little bit more detail. And I think it's really great to color code. I know that's like cheesy, but it's great to see what color is your lead. You know, you have your B storyline, your C storyline. 
I am very type A, so I like that. Um, <laughs> it's good. You got to be organized. And yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not seeing enough green on this board. Like, what, what do I do? You know? <laughs> Love to start. It just wasn't blue enough. Exactly. <laughs> so you've worked on a number of sort of adaptations across your career and you're developing projects. A lot of them are based off of books and IP. How do you transform these books into TV shows or successful pilot? What's your process? The process is to really read the book and know the book back and forth. Uh, one of the projects that I'm working on right now for AMC is a book series called Wool by Hugh Howie. And he's a wonderful writer. And the world that he's created of these people living in this underground silo is very rich. I mean, it's like down to like who lives on what level. It's just really great. And so that's your starting off point. So you have a lot of material, but you can't just throw a book on screen and think that it's going to be a television show. So you have to really think about what other pieces will give your characters an arc. You also have to think about the audience. There's going to be a ton of people who've read the books. There's going to be people who haven't. So you have to mitigate that as you're breaking the story. And then you also want to provide some mystery for those people who have read the books and are familiar with the story. So it's a lot of like bobbing and weaving and like <laughs> trying to satisfy a lot of masters. But I think you're marrying all that to a really solid main character with a really great arc. I don't think you can go wrong. What do you feel are the most important elements you can bring into a pilot for it to be both a successful pilot as well as an entertaining hour of television? It has to have a great world, has to have a great main character, has to have a great dilemma that the character is going through. And then for me, it has to end on something that makes me want to come back for the next episode. So it's, I'm all about the cliffhangers. Uh, <laughs> I... I one like a few years ago when Lost was on, Lost was for me was like the the king of the cliffhangers, and I just remember like binging that show before the last season and just being like, how did they think of all these amazing cliffhangers? I've been rewatching it recently for some stuff that I'm working on, but you have to really give the people a reason to come back, especially now when there's like 10 million <laughs> TV shows <laughs> on the air and so many different platforms. You really have to pull people in. So when you're developing these theories, how big a picture are you looking at when you're writing that pilot? Do you have the entire season planned out? Do you have multiple season arcs planned out? How, what's that process like for you? It's project by project, but I think you have to know the direction that you're going. If, if it's something original to the skies, the limit, it can be anything. But if you have the building blocks of a book or a series of books, you kind of know where the story is going to go. So part of that is figuring out how much to put in one season, how much to put into another season. It's also thinking of different subplots of things that when you read the book, you were interested in, but it kind of like blew by and then it wasn't dug into. Um, I'm a big fan of like finding those Easter eggs and kind of trying to uh, excavate more story out of those because audiences haven't seen that. You kind of have some mile markers, but how you get there is the interesting part. So moving on to the, the business side, you've uh, recently signed a new multi-year overall deal with EMC. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Ooh. And for those who may not know what it is, uh, can you explain what an overall deal uh, consists of and how does one or slash did you get one? Sure. I mean, for me, the best way to describe an overall deal is um, uh, to quote 
uh, Beyonce, you put a ring on it. <laughs> um, and so, like, I am now married to AMC for a couple of years. And uh, so all the television material that I generate uh, is for AMC or one of their networks. Um, and so how do you get one? The first time I got it, I was, like, completely shocked. You know, I was coming off of um, my third year on turn. And, you know, usually when you uh, sign on to shows, they'll sign for a three-year contract. And so my contract was up and my agents were sending me out on meetings at different shows. And I had met on a cable show uh, on Showtime. And I was like, yes, I might go back to Showtime. This is great. (laughs) Because we didn't know if Turn was going to come back for another season. We just weren't sure. So my agents mentioned that to uh, AMC and they said, ho, 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 hold on. Wait a minute. We need to uh, not let her go. And so uh, they gave me this amazing offer of having an overall deal with them and to work with some executives that I've come to love. And this was a place where I really got to have my sea legs and really grow as a writer. So I was really happy to continue the relationship. What are networks and studios looking for in the writers that they sign to overall deals? I think they're looking for people who have a bold voice, people who um, I think are doing something a little different from other places. And I know for me, one of the things that AMC was really excited about was just what I brought to the different shows that I worked on. So there was something dynamic uh, about working on Turn. And then I was also able to like change hats and then also do that on a martial arts show like Into the Badlands. And so they knew that I was really versatile as a writer and that was exciting. And so even the two shows that I'm developing for them now are very different. One is a really big sci-fi show, Wool, and the other is a little bit smaller, um, also based on a book called They Can't Kill Us All, which is about the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement. And so they're two very, very different projects, but they're all of LaToya, you know, they're all like of my mind, my mindset. And so I was just excited to be at a place that was willing to take chances on projects like that and really believe in me as a writer that I could uh, bring those to the table. And how do you approach pitching those projects? Do you bring in this Bible of content or do you bring in just like the overview of the pilot? I don't know if all writers are like this, but I hate pitching. <laughs> and so I am like as little as possible. Like, so I go in, I do have a full pitch. So I try to keep it around 15, 20 minutes. And it's really the world, the characters, why this story, why now? Those are like the answers that I try to provide. I also, you know, really think about what the next season would be, just some ideas, but I don't have them fully, you know, fleshed out in any way uh, because I like to keep that door open for for changes and stuff, but I do want to give them a sense that I've thought about it. You know, that's what I do when I, when I pitch, but some people come in and do like half an hour they have all these visuals and like that's just not me but you should definitely look into those people who do that because you know i'm terrible (laughs) (laughs) so what's the the day-to-day experience of being on the overall deal do they want you sitting in a room churning out material do they actively try to put you on their shows how does it all work this is my second overall deal with AMC. Um, but the first overall deal, they did more staffing me on shows. So part of it was finishing up on the fourth season of Turn, then jumping over to Into the Badlands. So it was like staffing on shows. And then in between that, making time for my development. 
And so for this new overall deal, I wanted to make sure that I had more time to develop projects and that I could talk to them about, you know, staffing. So um, there have been a couple of places that were like, we want LaToya. <laughs> and uh, I I could say like, you know what, if I go to that show, I won't be able to develop my own show. So um, there's been a little bit uh, more uh, back and forth about being able to do my development, which has been great. So what do you think are some of the unique challenges that diverse writers face in the TV industry today? I think one of the things that really bothers me is what I said before, which is that some writers have to repeat, you know, staff writer over and over and over three to four times, which is terrible. I think also sometimes the fellowships, which are well-meaning, some of them that are specifically, you know, for uh, diversity, they do the fellow a disservice by not fully integrating them into the staff. So, you know, I've had friends who've done, let's say, the Disney Fellowship, and they've been excited to be one of the writers in the room, but sometimes they aren't treated as a full writer, and so sometimes they don't get to write a script. Sometimes there's, like, politics in the room, as there always are, and if you're labeled the diversity higher, sometimes people take that to mean that you don't know how to write, and they treat some writers pretty terribly. So I think that those are all challenges that prevent writers from going further in their careers. And it usually happens at the beginning of the career. So like staff writer, story editor level, so they aren't allowed to move up. So that's the other problem. Like people aren't able to like move up the ladder. And, you know, I've been incredibly lucky to work for showrunners who have really acknowledged the work that I've done. And I've gotten like double bumps, you know, and because of the work that I've done. And, you know, I've been allowed to go up to co-EP and hopefully next uh, season EP. And not everyone has that. With new showrunners, especially showrunners of color, as they come up, they automatically try to fix this problem on their own in their own writer's room. So my friend uh, Lena Waith, who you know has her show The Shy on Showtime, her room is entirely black, you know, and like the showrunner is a black woman. And so that is on her own. She's decided to do that. You know, that's what I, I want to do something similar when I have my show. Now the impetus is on other showrunners to make sure that when they have a show, they don't have one LaToya, you know, at the table, uh, that they have other people that are in the mix. Because I think that there is a place for everyone at the table. Do you have any thoughts on what the industry and other people can do to be more inclusive? Yeah, I think it happens at a lot of levels. So executives, they need to have realistic conversations about doing outreach to different populations. And it doesn't take that much work. Just go to the WGA. There's plenty of committees, a committee of people with disabilities, genre writers, people of color. There's plenty of committees that they could just reach out to and say, who are the writers that I need to know? Then it comes to the studio. Same thing. Studio, guys, you got to uh, do some work. <laughs> um, find out who are the hot writers. Talk to other writers so they can get their recommendations. And I think one of the most important places for it to be done is at agencies um, and management companies because they happen to be, unfortunately, the roadblock for some people because... I'll just use Matt Nix as an example because I love him and um, I worked with him on complications. And I remember when I sat down for my showrunner meeting with him, he said, 
where have you been hiding? <laughs> he said, I, uh, I had written this uh, medical sample that was very similar to his show. And he wanted to hire more women. And he said, I have been trying to get agencies to send me stuff. And he's like, this is my third round of asking for more samples. And I finally got to yours. So he took the initiative to ask three times. Three times, I feel like every showrunner needs to do that if they're not getting what they need. That is what I'm talking about. The problem at the agency is of just sending their usual suspects for certain jobs because they have the resume, they'll probably get the job, but they have to be just more open about sending writers who may not have those credits yet, but they're definitely good writers. And then showrunners, for sure, you have to do the work. You have to... And I know it's hard. You want to hire your friends. You want to hire your cousin. You know, you want to hire your best friend's brother. You just have to open it up. And I'm not saying you have to be like ridiculous and like your entire room is just, you know, something that you don't want. Because, of course, that's the whole thing. When you're on a journey of making a show, you want as many uh, pieces that you can rely on as possible to make it easier because it's very, very hard. But I think there is a medium, you know, a halfway point where people can look to new talent that they haven't worked with before and maybe they'll come up with a gem. I know uh, Craig Silverstein, who I worked with on Turn, he had not worked with me before and I'm willing to wager, he'd say, that was a good thing that he hired me. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what is next for you? Oh my God. Well, I have two pilots that I'm working on for AMC. So there's... There was that. And then I'm also supervising another writer who's doing a pilot for AMC as well. So that's a couple of things. I still love features. So um, I have a spec script that I wrote that's sort of a thriller that I have a director attached and a really wonderful actress attached. Barry Josephson is producing. And so hopefully we'll get that over the line and get all the pieces together because I really want to make this movie. And, you know, I still work in comic books. So I've written a bunch of series for uh, Zenoscope. Yeah, so I'm going to be doing a new original comic book with Boom Comics. So I'm really very excited about that. All right, before we go, we got a couple of final questions. Uh, Number one, what are you watching on TV right now? Wow. Okay. So because the world is terrible, um, the thing <laughs> that I've been watching most, just because I just need to like not watch anything of, of real, you know, substance is the great British bake off. Oh, nice. And, yeah. um, <laughs> I know, and I cannot cook. So that's the, the irony <laughs> of this whole thing. Um, but I love like this great competition with lovely, polite accents and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's some a lot of confection. So it's that's fun. I, I I've been I literally watched that yesterday. I've been watching Killing Eve, which I love. Um, it's probably one of my favorite uh, new shows. I of course watch Better Call Saul, um, The Walking Dead. I I'm still on board. I'm actually I got a chance to write a freelance episode for the upcoming season, so Ooh. I'm really excited about that. What else? Pose. That is my jam. Oh my God, it's so beautifully shot. The acting is great. I can't say enough. I'm like obsessed with Stephen Cannell's. <laughs> um, oh my God, what else? I just started the new season of The Man in the High Castle because I'm like, uh, yeah. you know. You know it's what about, I like. It's all about genre. Yes. Yeah, it's everything I want. It's history, genre, come on. <laughs> it's like, my God. And like, 
I, I look the production design alone in that show mm-hmm. is ridiculous. I love it so much. Oh my god, I could go on and on about that. I'm caught up on uh, Insecure. I could go on. I watch a ton of TV. I try to watch as much as possible so that I'm not too far behind. Yeah, I feel like Man in High Castle is too close. Uh, too <laughs> I know. That's why I'm like, oh my god, we're this. Our lives are becoming Man in the High Castle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that in like Handmaid's Tale is not good. <laughs> <laughs> too real. <laughs> Any final advice for aspiring writers? I think the best piece of advice I can give people is that you can do it. It is possible. It takes hard work takes dedication and i am living proof that you can because if i'm not supposed to be here what this kid from south central la who comes out of nowhere and is is working on these shows it can be done you just have to focus and concentrate and just know that on the road to getting that yes there's going to be a ton of people who say no and you just have to be able to pick yourself up and keep fighting And uh, lastly, do you have any resources, be it books, websites, apps, anything you could recommend to our listeners? Well, follow me on Twitter (laughs) and Instagram at Morganic Inc. That, of course, first of all. And my favorite book about writing, even though it's not really about screenwriting, is On Writing by Stephen King. I recommend people read that. I also recommend they read Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. Which is great. Of course, I guess read story and save the cat and all those. I guess. <laughs> I mean, but the real thing that you should be reading is scripts. Read screenplays and not just episodic scripts. Because for me, again, I love you know classic film and I love old Hollywood. So the best writer. Oh, I'm gonna get in trouble for this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. For me, is Billy Wilder. Yes. And yeah. like, if you can read like the script for the apartment or double indemnity and just see how he wrote it on the page. Oh my God, it is such an education. So I would say crack open some of those classic scripts for films that you love. Like for me, I was writing an action sequence for Into the Badlands and I realized I've seen Terminator 2 a thousand times. I had not (laughs) read the script and I read the script and it is brilliant. So just you know, get inspired about a, a film or a TV show and just check out those scripts. Read the greats. Yes. Yeah, great advice. On that note, before we go, our paper tease competition is still open for submission. So if you have a TV pilot teaser of eight pages or less, any format, any genre, you can enter it for free at paperteam.co slash teaser for potentially getting feedback on air, win prizes, and be eligible for our paper team mentorship. All right. And that brings us to the end of the episode. So thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. And thanks to Latoya for joining us. Thank you, guys. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 111 111 <laughs> uh, if you want to leave us a review we would love that you can do it at paperteam.co slash itunes and all those reviews will help us uh, attract new listeners and build our community and thanks again to this episode's sponsor roadmap writers who in just two years has helped more than 50 writers find representation visit roadmapwriters.com to see their full slate of educational programs paper team listeners can use the code roadmap all caps all one word to save 15 dollars off their first program and as always i'm on twitter at tv calling i'm at underscore nj watson and what are your social media handles again? On Twitter and Instagram, I am at Morganic Inc. So M O R G A N I C I N K. 
All right. And if you have any feedback, thoughts, uh, ideas for future episodes, you can send them to ask at paperteam.co. And next week, we are actually taking a break for Veterans Day, but we will be back Monday, November 19th with Hillary Levi about her transition from assistant to executive and also these digital streaming services and aggregation platforms like VRV that she is an executive for and their place in the media landscape. It's going to be very animated. See what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys then. See you then.